people want to feel seen um, and managers need to see uh, work getting done. Uh, and I think overall people are just less seen and that often makes people feel less successful. And uh, we've we've seen this burnout epidemic that's, that's happened as a result of the pandemic. And, and some of it is, yes, people are working harder. They don't have a, they don't have a line between work and play. But I, I actually think a lot of this because people need to feel successful to not burn out. Welcome to Scale Your SaaS, the podcast that gives you proven techniques and formulas for boosting your revenue and achieving your dream exit. Brought to you by a guy who's done just that multiple times. Here's your host, Matt Wallach. Hello, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you here. Thank you very much for coming. My name is Matt Wallach and our goal here is to help you scale your SaaS so you can achieve the dream exit that you're looking for. And I'm elated to be talking to Prajal Gatak. Prajal, how you doing? Good. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm super excited for you to be here. Let me tell everybody who you are, Prajal. So Prajal is the CEO and founder at OnLoop. He founded OnLoop in 2020 to create a category called collaborative team development to fundamentally reinvent how hybrid teams are assessed and developed. OnLoop helps teams drive an impactful loop of regular reflection, feedback, and learning that manages that managers and their teams co-create to provide powerful insights into individual and team development. They're doing some really, really cool stuff, and I can't wait to dive in. So once again, Prajal, thanks for coming on the show. No, thank you. How have you been? I've been good. Been super busy. How about you? Same. Uh, so it's it's 10 p.m. in in Singapore. So uh, you know, um, I I I try and operate a global business out of Asia. So that means you do a day shift and then you do a mini night shift after. So so this is smack in the middle of that night shift. I love it. Well, I run a, a business with people in many different countries. About uh, three different countries right now is where our team is. Yeah. And we service people in about 30 plus different countries. So I understand having different hours. In fact, for you, it's 10 p.m. For me, it's 7 a.m. here in Arizona. There it's kind go. of the way it is today, a global world, isn't it? I know. And, and you know, this this global hybrid future is is very exciting. Um, and And the pandemic sort of accelerated it. Uh, and that will mean that we'll have to reinvent a bunch of stuff to to make it work. Uh, but it levels the playing field in terms of talent around the world and opportunities they have. We were just chatting about folks in the Philippines and and just how amazing talent is. And uh, you know, I I had the privilege of working there for a while, and uh, my my wife grew up there, and so so we uh, we try and hire folks from there as much as we can. Um, and it's, it's amazing to see people who just have so much potential now find opportunity and not having to sort of travel around the world and relocate to find the best jobs. They can just find that where they are. And, and, and we, we have COVID-19 to thank to accelerate that in many ways. And, um, that's been one of the permanent silver linings coming out of this pandemic. Yeah. It's kind of funny how something really, really bad can create some some good things. And it, I agree. There's a lot of stuff that has come out of that. That's been good. And that's one of it. Um, and I can tell you my team, they're all over the world, like I mentioned, and yeah. they are awesome. They are, they're like family to me and we're very close and Absolutely. they do some amazing stuff. It's, it's pretty cool. What can happen? No, for sure. And, um, you know, we started in April, 2020 when the world shut down. So, so we've been, we've been global and distributed, uh, right from day zero. I don't, I don't think a lot of actually, uh, VC back, tech companies that, that have been that way right from infancy. Uh, and so at some point someone might want to study that and, 
and I understand good, bad, and ugly of, of, of teams starting out that way. But uh, we had a very different experience of never having been a pre-pandemic company. And so uh, we, we only know <laughs> remote and hybrid um, as on loop. Well, the same. So my coaching company started in yeah. March of 2020. So right then as well. So it's, it's been no different. So it's kind of fun how it happens. But I want to hear what gave you this idea to start Onloop? How'd that come about? Yeah, no, Onloop was born from personal pain, to be honest. Um, right before starting the company, uh, I'd spent three and a half years at Uber uh, in a variety of roles uh, prior to that in finance and management consulting. Um, and and throughout my career, um, the importance of managing teams was just front and center all the time. And, 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 and people development is such a huge piece of what we do as leaders. Uh, but I was very, very underwhelmed uh, by the quality of tooling, by the quality of processes that me and my team were subject to, um, mm. both from a recruiting perspective, from a learning perspective, from a performance management perspective. Um, and frankly, I just had a lot of anger um, and disdain for how things were run. Um, and I didn't necessarily know uh, when we started out what the answer would look like. Um, but the the problems were, were very clear. Um, and the first problem we decided to tackle um, was the performance review and performance management process that, that I was subject to for many years. Uh, as a leader, we just we just felt like a backwards process that took a ton of time and and yielded minimal to no benefit for the people going mm -hmm. through it. Um, and when a billion knowledge workers go through something day in day out and hate it, there's an opportunity there to go to to go build something that's fundamentally better. And so you know that's 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 really how we started. Um, and it's been it's been an amazing journey since. Yeah, it's so true. I want to talk about that. This this uh, shift that has happened. We talked about it earlier. What has that meant? Like, what? How how has that changed business? How has that changed work and work mm. habits? What have you seen from your perspective? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think there's a lot there, right? To 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 uncover. But one of the things that we end up talking a lot about and and see a lot with our customers is just this visibility and clarity gap that's got created because people have gone hybrid. And so, um, you know, we had built an entire tech stack to largely enable and support in-person work. Um, and when we built products, so we, we built products for people to communicate and collaborate uh, remotely, uh, we built products to project manage at a task level um, like Notion or Asana. Um, but managers kind of kept tabs on, hey, were teams on track on an everyday basis, kind of by physical osmosis. Um, mm -hmm. And so you could get by with point-in-time updates on what was going on and, and feedback people got from a tooling perspective because a lot of that happened informally day-to-day. -day. Um, mm -hmm. That loop has completely gone away. Um, and, and as a result there is a massive anxiety both on the leader side as well as the employee side. And you obviously have seen mm -hmm. as we've gone into more recessionary environment where leaders have been asking people to come back to the office. Um, 
A lot of that is driven by just paranoia and anxiety about productivity. And actually, Microsoft ran this study about a couple of months ago, and they call it the productivity paranoia, which is a great phrase where 87% of employees think they're being productive, but 12% of leaders think their teams are productive. And there's a massive gap there. And, and, and the way leaders are trying to fill that gap is by saying, come back to the office. And, and I don't think that solves the problem. I think it's a, it's a temporary band-aid, which is not necessarily good for the world, and which is why we need to build technology that, that sort of provides um, that, that clarity. And, 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 and I don't think we're ever going back to a five-day uh, in-person work week. I'll be very, very surprised if, if that becomes um, the outcome. Um, but people want to feel seen um, and managers mm -hmm. need to see uh, work getting done. Uh, and I think overall, people are just less seen um, and that often makes people feel less successful. And uh, we've, we've seen this burnout epidemic that's, that's happened as a result of the pandemic. And, and, and some of it is, yes, people are working harder. They don't, have a, they don't have a line between work and play. But I, I actually think a lot of this because people need to feel successful to not burn out. Um, and there are times when I've worked 16 hours a day, but I felt successful and I haven't burnt out. And there are times where I've worked lesser and I may not see although I did it and I might burn out. So um, I, I, I think the diagnosis needs to be very clear around these things to treat them right. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Well said. So what should, what's the fix? How should businesses approach team development and managing their teams so that they can create excellence? Um, it's really about building high-fidelity feedback loops. Uh, and, and at a basal level, it's, it's understanding how people are feeling. Um, at a secondary level, it's... it's knowing that people have clarity on what they're working towards. So, so, you know, what their goals are, um, at a tertiary mm -hmm. level, um, receiving enough feedback to have a very clear sense of, of where your superpowers are, where your blind spots are so that you can, you can hone one and mitigate for the other. Um, and finally take action to get better. Uh, and that can be through coaching that can be through consuming content. Um, and, and, and really all the things that, a great manager does in in person on a consistent basis, um, and you know, in our case, we we we, we try and sort of augment um, teams with a platform um, that allows that to happen on a much more consistent basis, um, so that managers mm -hmm. have a good sense of where to intervene. Um, and and you know, people are very quick to blame one side versus the other, or employees are lazy, or or managers don't care, or leaders are terrible people. Like I, I like I, I don't think any of them is true, right? Like I think I think everybody right. everybody's fundamentally operating from what they know and what they feel aware of. And and if we increase the amount of information that flows through them without adding a ton of burden, we're we're going to build more aligned organizations, and organizations just calmer um, and can and can deal with um, sort of varying work styles and and varying work arrangements. Yeah, I, I think that's well said. And you mentioned earlier annual reviews. Should annual reviews, I mean, it feels like we're always taught growing up as leaders, like as we're coming up the chain, oh, make sure you're doing annual reviews with your team. Is that Should that still be a thing or, or, or should we ditch it and do feedback other way? What, what should happen? Before I answer that, have you spent much time with ChatGPT? 
Not yet. I've seen all the all. The, I'm on Twitter, so everybody's tweeting about it and this and that. I haven't popped into it myself yet. Yeah. So, so we actually uh, partnered with OpenAI in 2021 um, and incorporated um, sort of GPT three uh, into our product. Um, and what our product helps do is um, it takes sort of the frequent captures that people make over the course of time and then converts that into a cohesive narrative. Um, using OpenAI's technology. Um, and so if you think about an annual review, right, and if you think about where the time goes into it, the bulk of the time goes into writing these reviews from scratch. So it's, it, it tries to convert everyone in organization into a storyteller. And, and, mm-hmm. and often who gets promoted or who looks better is based on someone's storytelling capability uh, and and what I what I call eloquence bias, be it in writing or in verbal, versus the actual work that happened. Um, and so, yes, I think you know companies need annual reports, they need quarterly reports, they need semi. So there there are points in time that you should always check in and reflect back on on what happened. But the data points that support that conversation or or support that discussion should be very much over time and so and so what we try and do with our approach and we and we call it collaborative team development uh, as you mentioned is to be much more forward-looking whereby we we try and give teams a product that can help them collect snapshots of how things are going on a much more regular basis and then use AI to help summarize that uh, and and that summarization should be a byproduct and and not the main product of how teams mm-hmm. are developed versus today that review sort of becomes the forcing function and as a result people hate feedback they hate goals mm-hmm. they hate all these things that should actually be good for you but the but the way they've been implemented has made people run away from it and 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 that's terrible right and in the same way that fitness tech made losing weight cool like new made working out and losing weight cool and that's good for the world and we're trying to sort of make goals and feedback and development and well-being cool so that people don't hate it like they've hated it for the last 40 years because they were given performance management tools to spend time in so is that a big undertaking i I mean i agree with what you're saying but from your perspective you kind of need to re-educate the market and the world about the right way to do things instead of what has just been drilled into us over the years. Yeah, and, and you know, I'm an old school founder, an old school entrepreneur, uh, and believe that if something's been solved, then why solve it? And so I don't want to be the 10th person that builds another buy now, pay later product or a EOR product that sends to the world. If you're not actually driving meaningful change, then why be an entrepreneur? Um, and so I absolutely believe it's a huge undertaking. Um, but it's also one that's, that's meaningful, uh, and and that makes the long nights worth doing, right? So um, I I agree, uh, and which is why you know for us it's very much about encasing all of the change we are driving into a cohesive framework, and that's why uh, we talk about CTD or or collaborative team development in the same way people have talked about OKRs uh, or they've talked about EOS, which is Entrepreneurial Operating System. Um, because you want to drive change, you need to make sure people understand it and package it. And uh, we spend time thinking about how we sort of drive a methodology um, 
that just makes sense and people do it. Like people, people move to channel based messaging with Slack, right. And, and learned how to speak in channels, which must've felt weird at the beginning or people picked up notion, although that product seemed foreign for people for a while. Um, but having a air table or notion that has a database built into a spreadsheet just made sense after a while. And so, uh, you know, we're applying a lot of what people have done for other use cases, uh, and applying it to, to making teams fundamentally better. Love it. And speaking of your own company, you've been able to start on loop, like you mentioned at the beginning of the pandemic, you've earned yeah. some success. You've been able to grow. What were some of the best moves you guys made along mm. the way that helped to get where you are now? Um, no, great question. I, I, I think, I think one of the things that I decided pretty early on, uh, was that I wasn't trying to bootstrap the company, um, or, or sort of do it on my own. Um, and the biggest reason for that is when you build software early on, um, you can often make more money by providing services. Uh, and it's almost easy to sell services in the early start, early stage of building a software company. And if you're bootstrapping, revenue matters a lot, uh, right from day zero. And mm -hmm. so you can, you can sort of get distracted and move away uh, towards services. And so ensuring that we were product focused right from the get go meant that we did raise capital um, quite early on. I think that was a, that was a fairly important design choice. Um, I, I, I think the second was when it comes to fundraising and then obviously, uh, people have horror stories about fundraising and, um, you know, I, I will have to probably fundraise again for this company and won't be in 2020 and 2021. So, so we'll, we'll see, we'll see how that goes. And, and people claim they're the two easiest years to fundraise and those are only two years I've fundraised ever. So, so maybe get me back <laughs> in a couple of years and see if I talk about fundraising, but um, one of the things that we did was um, was be quite public on LinkedIn on on what we were building and why, and that just meant that we got a lot of interest mm. from from investors uh, right from the get go, and that changes the conversational dynamic. In fact, the same thing happened with customers, and a lot of our early customers came through inbound. Um, and attracting inbound is so much more powerful than than sort of driving mm -hmm. outbound, uh, and it just changes the dynamic of conversation. So I I tell a lot of entrepreneurs to um, to think about sort of you know, talking about yourself enough that that people are intrigued uh, and they come to you versus you having to go to people because it changes um, the dynamic of the of the conversation. Um, and and then the third was you know we we took this bet on on GPT three and and giant of AI to write performance reviews quite early versus uh, other use cases and um, mm -hmm. and we were sort of a, in a bit of a rush to announce to the world and wanted to be the first to announce it. Um, and so I think that really paid off and uh, we're now in a place where, you know, everyone's talking about giant of AI. We, uh, we sort of successfully survived the boom and bust of all things having to be crypto and NFT to, to be, to be valuable. <laughs> and I'm glad we didn't get mm -hmm. sucked into um, that sort of wave. Um, and, and sort of staying focused on solving a problem and, and sort of thinking of first principles on how can we use the very best of technology we have to solve the problem at hand, I think it led us to a place where we feel well positioned to capture the opportunity. So those are the few things that come to mind. I love it. That's great stuff. And I hope people can emulate that for their own companies. What about the other way? What were some of the things that didn't go well that you thought, oh, this is going to be great. And then it didn't work so well. What were some of those mistakes? Yeah, I, I think, I think building good product is incredibly hard. Uh, and, and I think a lot mm -hmm. of, 
uh, first-time founders um, underestimate that. Uh, and specifically, building amazing UX is incredibly hard. Um, and mm-hmm. there's a huge difference between UX design and UI design. And and typically, if you're a founder, you're, you find a designer, uh, and you focus on how good things look and um, sort of, you know, do they make you feel a right particular way? But, but like the intricacies of flows and, and how they drive habit is um, is huge. And, and, you know, because we got funded quite early, we just kept building the product uh, without thinking a whole lot on it was whether the UX was, was, was perfect or, or did the right things. And so if I do it all over again, um, I'd be a lot more, uh, focused on on UX from the get go. Um, the 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 second thing is um, you know how you build systems and and actually building building a prototype for something is actually really easy in the world we live in today. Um, but if you build a prototype that works, keeping on adding additional features to it if you haven't architected right actually makes you hit a wall after a while uh, and. Technical debt gets Correct. nasty, and and so um, you the, the 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 hardest thing with all these stage companies is that you got to straddle this short, medium, long term game because at some level you don't, you don't even know the long term game exists. So so you you can't mm-hmm. you can't make architectures that slow you down too much, but that, but at the same time you can't be super short term focused too. And I feel like at times we've been more short term focused than we should have been uh, in terms of sort of tech decisions mm-hmm. uh, we've we've made. Uh, but I think you know I um, I hadn't built a product company before this, um, and and you know Uber was in many ways quite operational, and and I was more on the upside of things, and so I've just gained an appreciation of of what building product looks like, and um, and and how much complexity you need to sort of hide away uh, to build an experience that is truly magical and truly delightful, and so I feel like I'm still learning how to build a delightful product, and. Um, it's 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 been fascinating to be down that journey, and I'm lucky to um, have the opportunity to make mistakes and still learn and and keep moving forward. I love that. I love that. Well, Projal, I love your passion. I can see you care so much about this, and you care about helping people and and growing the product. It's super awesome to see that. I I did. That's one of the things I just love about talking with great entrepreneurs is just seeing that that vision and the passion come together. It's it's really fun. I I really appreciate you you doing all this. What I want to ask lastly is. What advice would you have for other early stage software founders who are getting going and, and looking to grow? Yeah, I you know one of the things that I talk quite a bit about is mental agility um, and sort of conviction and confidence and mental fortitude. Um, I had to definitely take that quite seriously even on this journey and and make sure that when times were harder, it wasn't messing with with my conviction or, or my confidence. And in any startup journey, there's a great book called uh, The Founders, uh, which talks about the PayPal mafia. And it's an, it's an amazing read for, uh, for every entrepreneur because it just talks about how even Elon Musk has been fired twice from his companies. And so you know, no matter how successful someone is, it's, not, it's never a straight line and it's, and it's never going to be one. But what mm-hmm. really gets you going is, is that belief and that faith. Um, and, and so continuing to work on physical and mental health and just psychological well-being, I think is what carries entrepreneurs through. And, and it's something that a lot of people neglect or get caught up into hustle culture. Uh, and, and that's big. And I think the second is 
just really understanding your support systems and your risk appetite and knowing what you can and cannot do. Um, I had to wait till 33 or 34 to start a company because before that in my life, I couldn't afford to not make a paycheck every month. Um, and, and, and that was my reality. Uh, and I'm extremely privileged to have a wife who works at a big tech company and has amazing benefits for our family that allows me to take risk. And, um, you know, you know, people talk about go find your passion and that's all that matters. But I think that's, that's a place of privilege. Uh, and, and we should all sort of factor in what risk we can take. And, and if you can take it, then, then do it. And, um, this irrespective mm-hmm. of how it goes, there is very few things in life that are, that are more meaningful. I think that's extremely well said. Well, Prozal, this has been great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can people learn more about? Yeah, you know, we, we have onloop.com. So that's, that's the easiest place to find, to find on loop. Um, there should be only one Projol Hatak um, on LinkedIn, but um, NMG Projol on, on, on Twitter. So, uh, you know, please, please reach out and, um, and sort of share feedback or, or any of your thoughts. Okay, perfect. We'll make sure we put that in the show notes as well. Projol, thank you so much for coming no, on the you, show. Man. It's been great. Love being here. Absolutely. Likewise. And everybody else out there, thank you for being here. Make sure you're subscribed to the show. You don't want to miss out on any other amazing discussions with leaders sharing about their passion and their vision like Projol just did. So hit that subscribe button, and then we will see you next week. Take care. Thanks for listening to Scale Your SaaS. For more help on finding great leads and closing more deals, go to mattwallach.com.